first Sunday of the month, right? And uh, on the fourth Sunday, we missed the month, right? Storm, you're going to you're going to be preaching that. That's from the brothers. Uh, normally uh, share. I did uh, debate whether we'd have Storm this morning. We're going to be on the same subject, but I, I did have some things. I believe from the uh, from the Word of God that would be good for us to have in our hearts and our understanding as we spend time together this week praying. I want to speak on the subject of prayer. Uh, and perhaps a bit rough, not as organized as I might prefer. I did sit down to write an outline and I just dumped it. And uh, is in the word, meditating, musing, and to share some uh, prayer is a is a pretty, pretty inexhaustible subject. There's a lot in the Bible about prayer, but we don't want to come at it academically, right? It's a bit like um, I don't know what do they call it, marriage counseling or something. You never want something like that to be academic. You got two young people in love. Uh, I can never, I know I was a school teacher and I don't know, you know, you'd think I would be the most positive towards curriculum and so on, but I just can't stand it with the things of God. It's heart to heart. It's truth. It's like father and son, you know, kind of get out a curriculum to teach your son the things that are in your heart. You just share together. And that's, um, that's how I'd like to approach this issue of prayer. It's not an academic discourse. It's, uh, it's not math. It's not engineering. It's life. In Luke chapter 11, I think I mentioned recently that Luke is the, the evangelist of prayer. His writings, his gospel in particular, highlights the subject. Luke tells you that while Zacharias was in the temple, burning incense. His lot was to go into the holy place. The whole multitude was without praying. Jesus, when he was baptized, Luke tells us he was praying. Before he, he uh, chose his 12 uh, apostles to be with him, it said, Luke records that he continued all night in prayer to God. Luke was big on prayer and to underline and highlight it. And here... In chapter 11, it came to pass that as he, Jesus, was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, 
Yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? There's so much here. What uh, many call the Lord's Prayer, I prefer to call it the Disciples' Prayer. Of course, the Lord had, um, I would think the Lord's Prayer is in John chapter 17. The Lord had taught them this, um, but not to them alone. He taught it as part of the Sermon on the Mount. And perhaps one of the most uh, striking things uh, about it in this version is that the Lord doesn't finish. Looking for it in the Sermon on the Mount now. Um, There it is in Matthew chapter 6, right? Uh, same, uh, Same prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Matthew 5 verse 12. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So far, we're on track. Luke 11:4, Matthew 6:13. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The Jews finish their prayers with Amen. If they were American, they'd say Amen. I think they say Amen or something like that. With my Hebrew scholars at the back, no, wrong. That's fine. Um, that's how they pray. Uh, the rabbis have written, I think, uh, I remember reading this, that um, it's a religious duty to say amen or amen at the end of collective prayer. Everybody's supposed to say amen or amen together at the end of prayer. That's how seriously they take these things. They have their rules, they have their, their law and it's not that it's all bad or anything like that. It's just that so much of it's in the power of the flesh. Um, it won't distract ourselves. Many, many various customs they, they have amongst themselves. A, a form prayer was not unusual. They say, teach us. John taught his disciples. And they have, um, if you've ever looked at any of the, the um, holiday festivals, right? And they have... Prayers that they recite before each, um, each stage in the ceremony, the service. They, uh, is it the Passover and the breaking of bread? Baruch, Atah, Yaya, Eloheinu, Melech, HaOlam, and they go on. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has given to us the bread. And they break it, right? And they've got these um, formal prayers that they memorize and, and say Um, And this is what they were looking for. And the Lord had taught them one on the Sermon on the Mount. And he finished it. And here in Luke, he stops. And he goes on, look, you want to know how to pray? This is how to pray. Never mind the formal prayer. You go as if you're going to a friend in need. 
And you don't stop until you get what you need. That's how to pray. Importunity. This is a desperate person. Importunate. Not demanding and belligerent and arrogant, but earnest. And friend, (laughs) I need this. I remember uh, as a young, zealous man. (laughs) More heat than light, I suppose. Um, more zeal to do good for the kingdom than actual spiritual understanding as to how to do that. And I, some acquaintance of my mother was over, probably to do with business, and she happened to be a Jehovah's Witness. And me, you know, as a, as a ripe, mature Christian of about 17 years of age, uh, perhaps 18, uh, got preaching at her full hammer and tongs. <laughs> Oh dear. And she, of course, trying to to leave because it was time for her to go. And we were, as a family, I was living with my parents um, in their condominium. Must have been about 17. They had a ground floor. It was two two floors for each condo and it went up. Not too many floors, but we were on the ground floor and we had, you know, a walkout balcony. And so you could just pull up in the driveway and come in. And that's what she had done. And she had parked in the laneway. And left her car there because she was just popping in for a minute. And (laughs) of course I engaged her in preaching away and preaching away. And we didn't notice that those flashing lights outside and all that going on. While I'm there preaching to her. And you can imagine how long this went on. uh, Somebody did not like the fact that she was stopped out there and had called a tow truck. And they towed her car away. Double blessing. You get harangued by a 17 year old uh, jumped up youngster and your car's towed away. <laughs> she got her money's worth out of that visit, don't you think? And it so happened that a good friend of mine at the time was a tow truck driver. In fact, he owned his own tow truck company. So I phoned him and he said, no, it wasn't us. I don't think it was it, but I'll know where they've taken it and I'll give you the guy's number. And he phones me. Uh, Sorry, he gives me his number. And I phoned this man. I was importunate. I felt so awful. At least I had that much, you know. I felt this was my responsibility, my fault. And I'm I'm on the phone uh, to this man. And he said, nope, sorry, you know, it's after hours. And and, uh, I mentioned my my friend's name, you know. And that kind of allowed it. He would talk to me. And... uh, And when he'd said, no, that's it, you know, that's it. Like, no, 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 we're about to hang up. I said, well, I I don't know what else to do other than just keep asking you until you hang up on me. He said, all right, I'll meet you there. But one negative word and I lock in that gate. Importunate. I don't know what else to do but keep asking until you hang up on me. And this man who was a bit irritated and not wanting to get out of his comfy uh, home. and It was nightfall. I don't remember if it was summer or winter. And so, you know, I drive her there. I wasn't preaching at her now, you know. I just feel terrible. And of course she felt like this was wrong and she, so I'm not like just... You know, trying to keep her from giving him the negative word. So he bolts the gate. I'm now trying to solve this problem I've created. And 
And anyway, he was, he was fine. I managed to keep her distracted so she didn't start. Because she was frustrated, you can imagine. And, uh, but importunate, right? Importunate. Like I didn't care about my pride. I didn't care about anything. Just getting this man to come and bless this woman and give her her car back. He didn't charge or anything. I don't, I don't remember if I, if I paid the fund, but, you know, like it's just getting her a car back. Importunate. I don't know what else to do except keep asking. Because <laughs> what else am I going to do? Um, yeah, I felt it was a bad testimony and all of those things. Because of his importunity, he won't, uh, it's not what the Lord said. Uh, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend. Isn't that how it is? Right? Like if I come, if I try and get Sean out of bed at three in the morning over something, he's like, <laughs> I love you, but like, go to bed, go to sleep. Like, I'm going to, because we're friends. He can, he can do that. I won't be offended. We're friends. And so sleep can prioritize because of friendship. He's not going to bother getting up my wife like Martin. You're waking up my wife and, you know, Archie. Like, you know, go away. You can treat her. But if it has been his neighbor, his next door neighbor, or a stranger banging on the door at 3 o'clock in the morning, he would be jumping to it. What's going on? Yes, how can I help? Right? And the thing that happened to you, brother. Didn't you bang on somebody's door with icicles hanging off your face? Yeah. Right? Um, it's different. Because of friendship, you can put the person off. And that's what was going here. And so you keep going. And isn't it so, brethren, with respect to prayer, the newly saved, the getting saved, you know, it's like they'll, they'll utter some... Short little prayer and it's like the king of heaven falls all over himself to answer in real time. And yet you're praying something and you thought you gave it a good pray and you got nowhere. It's because you're friends. That's what the Lord is saying. You have an established relationship. Yeah, the, 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 the just getting saved or the babes, the Lord's trying to encourage them. You know, you, you, it's not, you, you young parents now, you're, you're holding your little one up to see them walk. Is that right? What would you think if you saw me doing that with Matthew? <laughs> Even Philip or Simon, you'd think like, this is weird. He doesn't need that in kind of encouragement. That's how the Lord does with prayer. You take the little ones and, you know, just answers their prayers in real time. I remember a preacher, I forget what he, this, the point was, but his illustration, your man had been newly saved, rough, tough, like gambling, brawling type. And he comes home from work. An Englishman, you know. Not that it has anything particular to do with it, except maybe the language and so on. And uh, the dog was limping. I don't know if he'd been hit by He said, what's wrong with the dog? And wife tells him, picks it up. Lord, heal my dog. Puts it down and goes trotting off. Perfect, right? And you and I have a sick family member and we're just like, the Lord, the Lord does what you and I do with our little ones. They hold this little baby by the fingers. You know, oh. It's really weird with a 30-year-old, a 32-year-old, or even an 8-year-old to be treating them like that. Because he's his friend, he's not going to give him. But because of his importunity. And this is the thing. Uh, <clears throat> importunate. 
you know, I thought of <laughs> between being a teacher and, and so on, you know, you're, and then the Baptist influence, right, Mike? You know, your, your sermon training and all that, alliterations and structure, it, it's hard to avoid it. But I thought of, you know, three, three questions, and three is a big thing, right? Three-point sermons, and you can just break the thing down in structures of three. But uh, to whom do we pray, right? For what do we pray? How do we pray? You could argue, you, you know, you could look at three questions and you could break the thing down. I don't want to do that, brethren. I just, <laughs> I'm glad because of the mind I have, I needed it this way. The kind of preachers I listen to is basically this. It's like the sponge method. Sponge, um, sponge preaching. You soak the sponge in the liquid. And you take it out and you just wring it out, right? That's the preparation is the soaking, and then the delivery is just the ringing, right? <laughs> um, as opposed to the, the eloquence and the f- uh, floweriness that so many, and, and I'm not knocking it, Apollos was eloquent and learned, but uh, for me, I just, just want to wring out the, the substance of this. Importunate. We're praying to our Father in heaven. The Lord says, Look, you're a father. If you're, well, this is getting nice and lovely and warm. Maybe I'm getting heated. Um, You're a father. Your children needed food. You'd give it to them. How much more is your heavenly father going to give you what you need? And the Holy Spirit is here presented as needful as our daily bread. This is what we're asking for. What are we praying for? We're praying for the kingdom of God. We're seeking for the kingdom of God. We're knocking. I want to, to, to look at some of these things here, right? I don't want to analyze the, the prayer the Lord taught his disciples right now. Perhaps that's for another time. I want to extract this. We're praying to our Father in heaven. And we're seeking his name to be hallowed and held in honor. We're seeking his kingdom and his will to be done. This is our purpose. That men and women should know God. That his kingdom should be here and manifest. And that his will being done. Kingdom of Christ. An inward kingdom. He's not worried about economics and technology. He's worried about righteousness. Peace. Joy in the Holy Ghost. Not, um, you know, the late queen uh, died. The queen of England. I suppose the queen of the commonwealth. And so our queen here in Canada. I think she was 96 or something. I think the longest reigning British monarch in history. Now our son Charles, he's an old man already, king. You know, and all the pomp and, and that's a shadow of what it was. I think now they're really just uh, mostly a, an ornament, a very expensive ornament, you know, living quite luxuriously on the public purse. But they used to be kingdoms and the splendor of the ruler and, you know, they have their subjects and and so on. And the Lord's kingdom in the earth, it will have an outward glory one day. It has an outward glory now, but it will be manifest and revealed. But right now it's the king of kings who walked meek and lowly, ascended, he's resurrected, firstborn from the dead. And he rules in the hearts of his people such that they are pure, 
holy and full of love and have only good will toward men and live righteously. And they live at peace. Their homes, their marriages are full of love. Their family life is full of love. And they're kind towards their neighbor. This is the kingdom of God upon the earth. And God dwells in them. And in their assemblies, God is known. This is the kingdom that we're seeking. While men try to establish their Utopias, they are kingdoms without God, you know, paradise without God. They want to try and change human nature. And they have their ideologies. They want to use their technology. Men are trying to establish their kingdom. They want us to eat bugs and all sorts of things to save the planet. Speaking of bugs, want us to come to join me here on my Bible. Off you go. His brother, I think, was last, last week, kind of bombed me in my face and I got tangled in my beard. And my wife killed it. Thanks. Anyhow, um, hopefully it doesn't happen here. The kingdom of God. Power. Men that are bound with spiritual chains, full of devils. Those devils cast out. Oppressed. That's what Jesus said to the woman. She had a spirit of infirmity. An evil spirit was afflicting her body. And the Lord said she was bound. Satan had bound her. These 18 years. Woman thou art loose. The kingdom of God loosing people from Satan's oppressive tyranny. Making hearts pure instead of the love of the world. Or lust or uncleanness or hatred or pride or covetousness. There's the love of God and love of man. It's the kingdom of God. We want to see that kingdom in hearts and homes. We want to see something of the, the uh, prophecy there of what some believe are, is the millennium. You know, I think Zacharias, the streets shall be full of children playing. You know, happy children, pure, not a curse word, not an unclean, vile, profane word is heard, but happy children playing together. And done their play just giving thanks to God and praising Him. The kingdom of God on earth. Can you imagine? Ball hockey is a Canadian icon. It used to be, uh, you know, of, of um, uh, culture. Very little culture we have in Canada. Snow is a big one. Maple syrup. Ball hockey. And being pretty meh as a people. But children playing in the streets. Happy kingdom of God. It's so far from a regimented rules-based glum you can't do this, you can't. That's a joyous life filled with God. The kingdom of God. And then when this life departs I think of these uh, cicadas, right? I think they start out as creepy crawlies in the ground. Is that right? You children have looked at them. They crawl around. And then when it comes time they, they climb up a tree or something, you know. And they they die. And they're resurrected. They split open and now they're flying. Caterpillars are the same. These are parables. We live our lives on the earth and one day this body's done and that spirit within goes to glory. Spiritual body. The tabernacle of God with men. We shall see him face to face. There will be no more veil, no 
physical veil, nothing um, of the flesh to inhibit our perception of God. We shall know him as truly as he knows us. What glory that shall be. This is what we're working for. This is what we're living for. And we want to see the glory of that begun now. In men and women's hearts. The love of God. The joy and comfort of the Holy Ghost. Seek the kingdom of God. This is what we're praying for. Thy kingdom come. Before the outward glory. Where there will be no more need of the sun. Or the moon. All is light. Streets that are like transparent gold. Before this outward splendor, there's the inward splendor manifested in holiness and joy, faith, love. Hallelujah. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, Jesus said. And how to seek? He tells us what to pray for, to whom we pray, to our Father in heaven. For what do we pray? The kingdom of God and how to pray. Friend, I need this. That's how I pray. (laughs) Right? Knuckles are going to start bleeding if I keep that up. What a soft life. I need. I'm as desperate as for my daily bread. Hungry, needing. Notice, notice, and this is um, this is the humility for us. A friend of mine is come in his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. This is a great position to realize, brethren. Lord, I can't meet this person's need. You can. It's the Holy Ghost this person needs. Not me blathering. Isn't that right? (laughs) This person's come to me. But Lord, all power is thine. We're praying. And it's not like, you know, went once. No answer. Sorry, friend. You'll have to go away. There's no thought of that. You're urgent. I want to meet this need. I'm going to (laughs) go. Pray until... We get what we need. This is how to pray. Ah, perseveringly. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. The, the Lord will come back to that, I think, in chapter 18 of the same book. But we're not going to go there right now. Let's look a little bit um, more on this thing. Knock. All right, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Chapter 12 here in Luke. We'll pick up in this uh, passage. You know the the passage, right? Seek not what ye shall eat, verse 29 of chapter 12, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Hallelujah. It's your Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's what you're asking for. The kingdom. 
That's what you're seeking for. Seek the kingdom of God. There's no, you know, um, there's no ambiguity about what we're to ask and seek and knock for. Seeking the kingdom of God. Uh, knocking. Uh, we're going to look at knocking shortly. Asking. Asking for the Holy Spirit. Not only uh, more to fill our own souls, but particularly to minister to others. It's what the disciples prayed for. Um, look, uh, we'll keep our finger here in Luke, and we'll go into Luke chapter 2, uh, Luke book 2, otherwise known as the book of Acts, right? Uh, <clears throat> They went to their own company after they'd been threatened. And they, they uh, verse 23 of chapter 4 of the book of Acts. Right? So they, they, um, the Lord had used Peter and John to heal this lame man. And this is creating a crowd. And this crowd's believing on Jesus. And so it's upsetting the, the order of the religious structure. And the clergy of the day are not too happy to be diminishing in their stature. And so they, um, they threaten them. Blindness, right? Look, look just take a, a brief moment. No, it's, a, it's an else play. It's in another place. Hmm. Here they're just, you know, well, there's a blindness on display in verse 16. What shall we do to these men? For indeed a notable miracle has been done by them, is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it, but that it spread no further, less threaten it. Hey, hypocrisy. Elsewhere, elsewhere they'll say, you know, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Well, yeah, you guys had him murdered. They're blind. You, you will see this with people. They sin terribly and then they're completely blind and oblivious to their own sins. And they're, they're upset with you for something. This is darkness. This is hypocrisy. But leave that. They've threatened them. <clears throat> they had further threatened them. They let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them. And being let go, they went to their own company, Luke 4, 23, and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and prayed, right? And they said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth. And they, they go through the scriptures, and it would be edifying to do. But in the interest of time, we'll, we won't uh, analyze that. Verse 29, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul, and goes on how they loved, how they shared, how they were free from covetousness. 
They were praying. They were asking for the kingdom. They were asking for the Holy Ghost. They were asking to minister. Healing, signs and wonders, boldness. Not in their own strength. They prayed, Lord, do this. Grant unto thy servants boldness by doing this. This was their prayer. Now, they had started well. Uh, And one of the things I want to encourage us as Christians um, is to, to not faint. Right? Remember we've looked at this before where... Peter's start in the ministry. Yes, they'd followed the Lord and his humanity. And they'd been through many hardships. They'd seen the Lord crucified. But they were tremendously comforted and encouraged seeing him resurrected. They sorted that out. He reproved them for their unbelief. But they ate with him. They drank with him. They touched him. They knew. They had an unshakable confidence. Jesus is Lord. And he told them. Uh, We'll look at that uh, on our way back to to, uh, Luke chapter 12. At the very end of Luke's gospel. Luke 24. Verse 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And, And I know the theological... Uh, points about that. Yes, the Holy Spirit hadn't been given, but that's different now. Yes, I, I'm aware of all of that. We can, but we can still find application for ourselves here. You stay in Jerusalem, and, uh, and it says in verse 53, they were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. And then when Luke starts his second volume, he says these all continued, in chapter 1, verse 14 of Acts, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. So they were in the temple, Praising and blessing God. They would have been there for the hour of prayer. And then they'd go back where they were staying and pray. They continued in prayer. Jesus had said to him, last words, they saw him go up into heaven. And while they're still gazing and wondering, the angel's quickly there like, what are you gazing into heaven? Get on with it. Hmm. They weren't even being distracted. They were just lingering too long at a wonder. Angels tell them, smarten up and get on, get busy. Why stand ye gazing into heaven? So there, they'd seen that, and they're just doing the last thing they were told. They're in the temple, praising and blessing God. They're in the upper room praying. And they're continuing therein, and they didn't know what to expect, except that the Holy Ghost was going to be outpoured. And what an experience. They heard the sound as of a rushing mighty wind. Ezekiel's prophecy this breath that breathed on these slain and they lived and stood on their feet an exceeding great army. Cloven tongues as a fire he maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. And they spake with new tongues as uh, the Lord had told them recorded at the end of Mark's gospel. This word is going to go into every language, nation, kindred, tribe and tongue. There they are with this threefold witness Of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And then in response. When the enemy came in like a flood. And they were mocking the spirit of the Lord. Rose up and lifted up a standard against them. And Peter preached with the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Reproving them of sin. Which they had committed. Of righteousness of God. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Of judgment to come. And they were convicted. 3,000 souls were saved. What a glorious beginning. Thousands being saved. Sermon after sermon. 
And so there was a momentum that this group experienced. When they lift up their voice, they were accustomed to God moving mightily. I think later in Acts we'll read the shadow of Peter passing by in the streets would cause the sick to be healed. They had a tremendous uh, spiritual head start. They didn't have all of these doubts that clutter up their mind. And then the theological contortions. Maybe it's not God's will for this prayer to be answered. <laughs> you know, and, and the, the unbelief that pervades our, our soft western um, Christianity. Didn't have any of that. They just spontaneously moved in the Holy Ghost to God in each situation and God responded. We're not starting from the same position experientially. It's the same God in heaven with the same attitude and the same resources. We have some mountains of unbelief to climb over or to cast into the sea depending on how you prefer to do it. I recognize that. But God is the same his kingdom's the same. His will is the same. The sins of humanity are the same. The needs of people are the same. The devil's the same. He's just as wicked. His torments in people are just the same. And God is the same. And the same God that brought them there can bring us there. That's the thing. Hallelujah. And the Lord Jesus marks out the path for us. He says, pray. And don't stop. Seek until you find. You ever lost something that you really, really, really need? Anyone? Do you keep at it until you find it? Like pull the place apart, right? It's not like, you know, some of us are prone to lose things. Or leave things lying around. Won't mention any names. But some of them are related to me. I remember my, my mother sending one of my brothers to look for her watch. And half an hour later, he found it. He said, Mom, it's on your wrist. I repeated the incident. I had these clear safety glasses, you know, just clear plastic all around. I can remember in the shop looking, at them for, looking for them for a few minutes to realize I was wearing them on my eyes, not on my forehead. I was looking through them while I'm looking for them. Those are easy finds. If you lose your wallet or, or something, right? You pull the place apart till you find it. Car keys, right? Seek and you shall find. Children, for some reason, when they're younger, don't seem to look for things very well. And you send them for something, they can't find it. And then you go, and in about three or 30 seconds, there it is. Any children experience that? Yeah. No one wants to own up to it. Yeah. There's an honest little boy. You want something, you look for it. Brethren, what can be more worthy of searching for? Where are we going to find it but in heaven? Where God is in prayer. And how are we going to pray? Right? We pray like we need it. They lift up their voice. They were threatened. And they knew these men. These men were ruthless. These men were dangerous. Lord, look at these threats. They prayed like there was a God in heaven that they expected to answer their prayer. That's a thing. That's how we need to pray. Let's, uh, <clears throat> let's look at this. What about uh, you know knocking? Well, let's let's look at Acts uh, again in Acts. <clears throat> how about this? 
Acts chapter 12. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. And the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which appeared open to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel, and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod, and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark where many were gathered together, praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken, named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. <clears throat> well, we, we won't read about the poor soldiers and what happened to them and the rest of it. There's lots there, including the knocking, both literal and spiritual. The knocking, Peter. <laughs> Peter lived it on a low level, knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. He knocked. <laughs> not only did she not open, she left. This is worse. Okay, so you knock, someone comes to the door, you speak to them. And you think, there, we've got one. And then she leaves. This is a, uh, an illustration. Oh, he kept knocking. Right? What do you and I do, brother, sister, if you pray for something, it looks like the answer's come, and then snatched away and all hope is lost, what do you do? You see, this is a trouble with us. Conclude, oh, I guess it wasn't God's will, or we get disillusioned or something. But you've got an example right here. Keep knocking. It's Christ's commandment. Keep praying, keep seeking, keep asking until you have what you need. He will arise and give him as many as he needeth. Now this is not easy, I'll grant us that. But few worthy things are easy. Sisters, how was it bringing your little one into the world? I know there's always some exception, always easy. But for the most, they don't call it labor for nothing. It's how life starts. The most worthy thing, bringing a new life into the world, and it's not easy. To overcome the unbelief, to press through the the, the human feelings that want to despair or 
disillusioned or give up, just faint. Or, or the, the thoughts that come to the mind, you know, theological. Well, maybe just this isn't God's will. All of the things that will stop a man and a woman doing what Jesus said, which is to keep asking. Just to doubt his word when he says, everyone that asketh receiveth. Not lots of people that ask receive. Everyone. This is the nature of God. Now we've got to pray according to his will. We're not asking for a billion dollars. Covetousness. Talking about seeking the kingdom. Right? Asking for the kingdom. The spirit of God to fill all. Everyone that asketh receiveth. And take the kingdom by storm. The, the, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. And the violent take it by force. Lord I'm coming in and you can't stop me. I tell you God loves someone like that. I think it's cheeky. I'm coming in, Lord, and none of your gates can keep me out. I'm going to break it down with my knocking. God loves a man like that. I tell you. Yeah. All right. Now, it, there's more to it than that. That's, it's not just for ourselves. Prayer was made. Right? Peter's locked up. They know what's coming for Peter. Right? Same is coming for James. Prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. What do you think that looked like? Hmm? Okay, um, during the announcements, uh, oh, and another announcement. Um, Brother Peter is locked up in prison. And we know that uh, Brother James was beheaded. And he was locked up. So this is a concern. And we need to pray. So I'm just going to organize a series of prayer meetings. That, you know, we could... Do you think it was like that? Can you imagine? Uh, listen, if I'm mocking anyone, it's me, all right? So, but isn't this what goes on in our country? Our approach to prayer? So vastly different. That's why the, the, the results are so vastly different. God's not interested in our pet programs. They, we, this thing would have been organized like a fire, the old fire bucket brigades, right? There's a fire there and, you, and the men are just... But it's, it's not this um, matter-of-fact thing. It's just that people know what to do, right? They'd form a line and the buckets from the source of water handed it up to. That's how it used to be. I knew a man, um, he's gone to glory now, but he, in the Second World War, he went to jail rather than go and kill people. He believed that as a Christian that wasn't for him. And uh, actually, I think they, they let him off because he was a conscientious objector, but he refused to register. He said, I'll do anything for the good of the nation, but I'm not registering with your system. And they put him in jail. And after a season, he was released. I guess he did it time. And there was a bomb. There was some kind of a fire situation, and the building was on fire, and it was a necessary building. And he, he shamed his adversaries, not on purpose, but because he was the one in the fire. And they didn't have all the gear. He was there in the fire, the last in the line with the buckets, right? They pass in the buckets, put it back, another bucket. All of the insults and the, 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 the vandalism of his home stopped after that event. Because a man refuses to kill doesn't make him a coward. It might just mean he's a Christian. Bucket brigade, right? The urgency. 
urgency of the thing. You think about the prayer for Peter. It might have been organized. It would have been some organization. You know, who's got homes? Or there would have been a, a, it would have been just an organic thing. Everyone moving from their hearts. There'd be some organization. Who's got the biggest home? You know, that kind of thing. But it wouldn't have been this, this matter-of-fact organization. They would have been urgent. Brother, you, uh, I think you were just facing some dangerous threats recently. Let's kick it up a notch. What would your prayers have been like if you had been separated from your wife and she was locked in a building with some of these guys with their guns? What would your prayers have looked like? Yeah. Um, can you imagine hearing a recording? Yeah, so um, Brother Tina's been taken hostage, so do remember her. Brother Tina, did I say that? It'll happen to you. Sister Tina, I'm very sorry. Sister Tina's been taken hostage, uh, so please remember her in your prayers. Now, um, this Tuesday, we're having baseball. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I think, brother, if you had heard something like that, you'd flip, wouldn't you? I know this people can be offended at things I'm saying, but brethren, is there not a cause? Is this not real? Is this not true? You know, we don't mind challenging, quote-unquote, liberal Christians. Whether it's about their television watching or whatever. We think it's truth, and we do it in love, and, and yeah, they squirm, it's uncomfortable. What about when it hits us? What about when we have to face the facts that this is a shame? Compared to what is normal biblical Christianity, this is a shame. Can we? And what did Christ say to the Laodiceans? As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And I'm not seeking to rebuke anybody this morning. I'm just saying, brethren, let's look at the word of God honestly together. And let it change us. Let it convict us. Let it move us until we can move God. Hmm? Let us be willing to be disturbed. To realize that the status quo is not acceptable. That just because God loves us and has blessed us doesn't mean that there's not lots that needs radical change. Wist ye not, I must be about my father's business. Came from the lips of what we would call an 11-year-old. What the Bible calls a 12-year-old. Boy. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Let all the casualness that is so common to us as Canadians be burned up from our souls. Our God is a consuming fire and the spirit of prayer is a fire. The Lord started with this structured prayer and he couldn't finish. He said, look, this is how to pray. You go to God with a need that only he can satisfy and fill and you don't stop until you have everything you need. That's how to pray. No matter what the opposition, right? Don't bother me. What would you do if you prayed and you heard a voice from heaven? Don't bother me. Well, I guess, I guess God said no. All right. Let's go to the beach. Right? No. Lord, I'm going to keep bothering you. I need this. 
So asking, I'm asking you, <laughs> Charles Finney, now he was a lawyer. He wrote, or he said, and it was written down, God loves argumentative prayers. You read some of the prayers. The reasoning they go through while they pray and point out, God, you have to do this. Look at your word. Look what you promised. Look at the situation. Look what they're doing. Now, Lord, you deal with this. That's how they prayed. Well, I forget which one of the missionaries prayed. I have it in my mind. He's going to the indigenous peoples of North America. Was it Hyde? Praying. He went out into the... Nowhere to pray. He kneeled in the snow. When he was done praying, it had melted all the snow around him. He's finished praying and he points at heaven and says, Lord, I've done my part. If these people don't get saved, it's your fault. They had a massive revival. not arrogance, not like the jumped up pride of some know-nothings that think they're men of God. That's not what we're talking about. Look, let's look at some Old Testament examples, shall we? We started a bit late. We can go a bit late. <clears throat> look at First Samuel. <clears throat> they prayed. <laughs> we'll look at the Lord Jesus' prayer. And the, as we move into communion, but First Samuel, chapter one, <clears throat> we know this story. This is about Hannah. We know the situation, right? <clears throat> There's a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, the Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered... He gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she prayed in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me, and not forgive thy, forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child. Then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. 
Now Hannah, she spake in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she'd been drunken. And he goes on, and you know, she answers, and uh, uh, I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit. You know what happens. She was blessed, and the Lord answered her prayer. But the, the, thing, the thing is, and you, you'll hear me, and it's true. The scriptures talk about lifting up your voice in prayer. And uh, we'll look at some, uh, a few things. But the issue, uh, because that truth, this, <laughs> Satan, um, Satan uses truth to, to tie up Christians, you know, beat them up, discourage them. That truth can get people into a knot that God is not interested in. Hannah didn't make any sound. But God, she made a loud noise in heaven. She prayed in her heart. She prayed with all her heart. And that's the thing. Whether you're an emotional person or a calculating person, it doesn't matter. It's good to open your mouth and give glory to God. That edifies those around. But the prayer that moves God is this kind of prayer. It comes from a soul that is in earnest. It doesn't have to be sorrow only, although that is a very common one. Usually we're not asking for something when we're really happy and have all our needs met. I mean, just think about why. Isn't that right? Got everything. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms, James says. Is any afflicted? Let him pray. And so um, prayer, intercession, supplication tends to come on this suffering note because that's what moves us to prayer. Thanksgiving comes from the happy note. Praise, thanksgiving, glory. And that's good. And let's do that. When we're praying and supplicating, there's usually a need. There's usually a sorrow. There's usually a pain. And he's got to grip our hearts. When Jesus beheld Jerusalem, he wept over it. He didn't weep for himself. He wept over it. You love somebody. We want to pray for our loved ones. We're going to go back to Peter and, and all these things. Could we have to care, brethren? Not like going through a shopping list. I, I was saying to a brother not so long ago, he's not here, and he's not in our midst on a weekly basis or anything. We were talking, and, and uh, he, he had some concerns for a couple of his children that weren't, uh, as far as I know, they weren't rebellious or anything, but they weren't following the Lord in their hearts. And I encouraged him with... Uh, my own experience. I said, brother, I don't know how many times I've had to mop the floor from my tears after I've finished praying for my children. And I told him the words of an old man who said, if God don't hear my prayers, he hears my tears. Ernest. You see here in Samuel, Hannah. Brethren, God doesn't need us to read our laundry list or our shopping list. God wants to hear. Was it the psalmist said, deep calleth unto deep. 
Psalm 42, I think. Psalm 39. While I, I kept my tongue even from good, while I was musing, the fire burned. Then spake I with my lips, Lord, make me to know my end. Right? Fire burns. They can't help but speak. Hannah couldn't speak. But there was a fire burning. Brethren, there's no judging one another in this. God forbid. I hope we'd learn that from Eli. You're drunk, aren't you? God saw her heart. Notice her meek response. She wasn't all offended and some priest you are. Nothing like, oh my. Such grace. So many people get offended. We don't learn from these examples. She was so meek. No, no. Don't think that. But here, do we learn? You don't look at someone and judge their praying. Is that right? She didn't even make a sound. She had more prayer going here than the whole company of priests with their expertise. Especially those that for pretense make long prayers. God heard a great sound from a silent voice. Hallelujah. This is a thing. You have a deep, we're going to pray for loved ones this week. Is that right? This is how to pray, brethren. Peter was in jail. Some of our loved ones are in jail. Is that right? Isn't that right? They're bound by Satan and sin. We're going to pour out our spirits. We won't get into all the domestic issues why Hannah was. That's not the point. God had led her. You could look at Jacob. This is the kind of thing, and we need to respond, brethren. God allows circumstances in our life. God allows sorrows. He's looking for this kind of prayer. You don't get the precious uh, wine except by crushing the grape. That's the thing. The the sorrows of this life are meant not to produce a bitter spirit, but a, a loving, earnest, fervent outpouring of our souls to God in prayer. Something God knows we mean. Hmm. Not something flowery and poetic, you know. And there are some people that can't help it. They can't help uh, praying, you know, flowery and poetic. Like I say, we're not judging. I don't judge the eloquent. I don't judge the stuttering. Is that right? Why? Let us not judge one another. And don't be thinking. We're praying to God, not praying to our brother or sister beside us. Why do we care what they think? And they think wonderfully of you anyway. (laughs) So let's not let the devil get in our heads with those things. Let's just pray to God that loved ones will be loosed. We're back to Luke. Uh, Knock and it shall be opened unto you. There they were praying that God would open the door for loved ones. Peter was in his prison and they prayed. Not this kind of knocking, right? In Luke 13, strive to enter in at the straight gate, verse 24. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. 
When once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut to the door, and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Right? Verse 28, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. That's, that's too late. That's the resurrection. That's judgment. There's no entering in there. You're seeing the, the revealed kingdom. So that's not a contradiction. They're knocking. They're not coming in because it's too late. But while you're living on this earth, everyone that knocks, to him the doors shall be opened. And Peter showed us how. You knock. Takes a while for someone to come to the gate. Looks like the answer. And then boom. They're gone again. So you keep knocking. Until the gates open. Right? What could be clearer than that? The church kept praying until Peter was released. Now when they got their answer. And this, this will tell the difference between us and them. Prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for Peter. I presume at least some of them had jobs that they had to work. Self-employed. Peter was sleeping. And while he's sleeping, an angel comes and wakes him up. Smote him on the side, lifted him up. I tell my children, I'm more gentle than an angel when I wake him. So he boxed him in the side, woke him up, got him up, gets him out. And Peter, so Peter dressed himself, walks out of the dungeon of the prison, first gate, second gate, and he's out in the street, and then he walks. How far was Mary, this is John Mark's mother, right? How far was her home from, um, from the prison? I mean, doubtful is next door. So he's been sleeping, gets dressed, that wouldn't have taken him long. Walks out of the prison, the labyrinth or whatever it is, and then down outside and across town to John Mark's. And there's many gathered together praying. This is, is it past bedtime, brethren? Or is Peter just getting an early night in prison? You say, well, he didn't have a job. But how much is he sleeping? This is a man used to working all night, remember? Master, we've toiled all the night, caught nothing. What time would he be bedding down? Now, probably not midnight, you know, they didn't have hydro, but they would have had lanterns and so on. What time would he have gone to sleep? Not before, and the soldiers, you know. How late would it have been? We can't say with certainty, but is it reasonable to think it was dark? Could have been 10 o'clock at night. I mean, I'm not even going midnight or 3 in the morning, right? Could we agree that 10 o'clock would definitely be reasonable? Peter's going across when he's asleep. Right? doesn't say. It goes across town. Many gathered together praying. Past bedtime. And it wasn't a drag. They were needing. Right? Just, again, I go back to Dave and Tina. If that situation had played out worse. Locked up in there. Praying. Be easy to imagine you're praying at 10 o'clock at night in the bed. Wouldn't it? I, mean, I hope this is not too close to home, but this is real life, right? And us, and this is this is the we're, we're so out of shape. I remember was it Victor and John Banman? Were they in China? 
or Nepal or somewhere, they're walking up the mountain. Young men, right? Like 30, fit. They're going up this mountain and they see an old man way down there and they just, and before long he just walking past them, right? Because this is his life, walking, and we're not so fit over here. And prayer-wise, we're the same. We put in an hour or two praying for, for the need there, and we'd be ready to disperse and go to bed. Quite often we'll pray for something, and you know, I just feel God's going to answer that prayer, and we stop praying for it. And I, I don't want to knock that, I, I realize that can be true. But these folks were praying and praying and praying and the answer stares them in the face and they don't believe it. They're still praying. They knew how to pray, didn't they? They prayed earnest. They prayed fervent. And they prayed until they got an answer. Earlier they had prayed and the Lord answered immediately. The place was shaken out. They went full of the Holy Ghost here There was a great need and they were going to pray until they got an answer. Brethren, this is is how to pray. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. A few words on that and then we'll look at the Lord Jesus. Usually, brethren, when we think of knocking, we think of coming in. We want to come in. A door is closed that we want entrance and access into something. Isn't that right? Be normal. But there's another aspect of it I'd like to look at here as well. In Revelation chapter 3. I'm not going to go to the end where the Lord Jesus is knocking. Not even in Luke at the parable, you know, of the, the servants and when his master, they're watching and when the master knocketh, they open to him immediately. I'm not going to look at that. I want to look in Revelation 3, verse 8. Verse 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, what's Philadelphia mean? Brotherly love, who said that? Brotherly love. Uh, oh dear Philios is that the Greek word Philios yeah we know about agape right Philios is brotherly love Philadelphia the church of brotherly love right these things saith he that is holy he that is true he that hath the key of David he that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. An open door. Let's keep that concept. He that openeth, and no man shutteth. I have set before thee an open door. Let's go backwards in our Bibles, in our New Testament, to, uh, what shall we say, Colossians chapter 4. And verse three, Paul, verse 2, Paul says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Let's keep going backwards into uh, 2 Corinthians. 
chapter 2, verse 12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit. Door was opened unto me of the Lord. What about in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16? I think verse, verse, not, verse 8. But I will tarry at Ephesus unto Pentecost for a great door and effectual is opened unto me. And there are many adversaries. Acts chapter 14 I think. Yes. So after this first missionary journey, verse 27, when they, this is Paul and Barnabas, when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. So we have two things here. We're we're praying to God who can open a door, no man can shut it. We've seen, we're praying for Prisoners to be loosed from their prison. That door to be opened. We're knocking that that door be opened. The prisoner be loosed from the prison. We've mentioned some in our prayers earlier. I'm not going to mention them now. These recordings, you never know. You don't want to embarrass people. We're praying that prisoners would be loosed. Doors would be opened. And Paul talks about, and the Lord Jesus in the Revelation, doors of ministry. This is something we want to pray for. We want to pray for an effectual door of ministry in our own lives. And that can be a mother praying for her children that they will be spirit filled. She can expand that and pray for her neighbor with whom she meets. And the shopkeeper to whom she speaks. Don't neglect the duties God has given you plainly in his word. But we're praying. All of us are praying, brother. You've been talking about opportunities with neighbors, right? A door of ministry. We're praying that God will open up for us as individuals and as a congregation a door of ministry to be fruitful in expanding the kingdom of God. We're going to knock and ask that that would be done. There's several things we're praying for. Praying for loved ones to be saved. And we've seen how Hannah prayed. She wanted wanted to be born. Paul, when he, he was praying for people who were already born again, but they were behaving like they weren't. And he says, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Travailing in prayer. He wasn't just praying through a list. He was praying with desire and earnestness. Brethren, we're praying to our Father in heaven. We're praying for his kingdom to come. But we've got to pray with all of our hearts. Like we mean it. Like we will be undone if it doesn't happen. Like we don't care what anyone thinks about us, how we pray. Oh, church can pray like that when we're alone and when we're together. Not praying to impress anybody with anything, praying to move God. That's how to pray. And each one according to how God has made them. Some praying utter silence and it's louder in heaven than any of the noise we make on it. This is not a judgment, this is not a cookie cutter thing. That's why I looked at Hannah. 
there in uh, Scripture. But these are the ingredients. And yes, there should be much lifting up of the voice uh, to God in prayer. What about those heathen? For two hours, loud voice, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And how can the people of God be any less earnest than that? We're praying that God will release loved ones from prison. Open that door and release the prisoner. We're praying that God will open a door of ministry for us as believers. We're praying that he will open the door of faith to allow unsaved into his kingdom. We're going to knock and pray, not just this week, but our whole, I'm hoping that, that through the week God will kindle and rekindle a fire that shall not be put out. I think it was Latimer and Ridley, I forget, which was the stout of heart and one which one was timorous. Two Englishmen, reformers I think of some sort. And they were burned at the stake for their heresy. And one was naturally a bold, brash fellow, and the other one was more timorous and fearful. But both of them stood firm for Christ. Was it Latimer or Ridley? One said to the other, other I forget who. I'll go with Ridley speaking to Latimer. Probably got it wrong. They're both tied there, burning at the stake or about. And he said, fear not, Master Latimer. Must have been Ridley. I trust by the grace of God we shall light a fire in England this day that shall not be put out. And from the death of those martyrs, revival fires spread throughout the land. I pray, brethren, that we will catch fire, holy fire. Consume, Lord, all the dross from my life. Sometimes I can be just, you know, casual or forgetful and I get alone with prayer. Get alone in prayer with God and my soul catches fire. Lord, make me a constant flame. Not something that needs to keep being lit and relit. Let's look at the Lord Jesus then. I don't know where we're at in our message per se but I trust it's been profitable Luke chapter 23 I think no chapter 22 this is our Lord Jesus we talked about Paul who traveled in prayer Labor. Paul's prayers could be compared to a woman's labor pains. Emotionally. Exertion. Feeling. It came from his heart. He was so far from praying through a list mechanically. And he wasn't just some frothy emotional person that was just blown with the wind you know the type and God bless them he's made every type it's not just that it's not a surface level it's not the emotions that will weep one minute and then rage at somebody that offends them the next comes from the depths deep calling unto deep his prayers were like travail and here is the master 
He's already said to them uh, the, uh, in the midst of his discourse in the final chapters of John there, John 13 to, to 16, he's talking with the disciples. And in the midst of that, he says, Arise, let us go hence. I will not henceforth talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and have nothing in me. Right? Arise, let's go hence. And here he's in the garden. And yes, he's going to pray to God, but the prince of this world, the wicked one, had come to seek to destroy. He faced things here that are veiled from our eyes. Perhaps, and perhaps certainly, more intense than his temptation in the wilderness at the start of his ministry. As the wicked one came, this is what he said, the prince of this world cometh. He would come again on the cross. But here in the garden... And he says to the disciples, pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn, I'm in verse 41 of Luke 22. Was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed. Saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground and when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples he found them sleeping for sorrow and said unto them why sleep ye rise and pray lest ye enter into temptation the other gospel writers tell us that he prayed three times Luke tells us that each time was more earnest than the time before. Jesus prayed earnestly and he prayed more earnestly. Yes, think about that, brother. For you and for me in the garden. The, the, the conflict with Satan who tempted him in ways that we don't even know, can't imagine. The horror at having to bear the sin of humanity in his soul. He who had never known a defiling thought was going to have the entire filth of all of humanity pressed into his bosom. He was made sin for us. Every sin, it's as if every hand in the world was laid on his head and all of those sins were imparted upon him. He who never sinned. He was going to know a rupture in his communion and fellowship with the Father. The Holy Spirit was going to depart from his humanity. And he was left. This is what faced him. The physical pain of the cross being the very least of what he suffered. And in the garden. He wrestled with God and man and devil. And prevailed. Prayed more earnestly. For us. That his kingdom might come. His body was broken. His blood was poured out. But he poured out his soul unto death. And we remember him here in the Lord's Supper. And we're going to gather to pray that his kingdom, that for which he bled, bled while he was in prayer before he even bled on the cross. We're going to pray that that kingdom will come. To souls we love and to souls we don't know whom he loves. Do we get a vision for this, brethren? Does it grip our hearts? May God get so hold of us as we remember him here.
he prayed more earnestly. His sweat was great drops of blood, as it were. He had said to them earlier, this is my body, broken for you. Take, eat, right? This is my, the blood, my blood, in the new covenant. We're going to remember his death, brethren. Does it, does it tie together why we pray, for what we pray, to whom we pray? We're praying for the fulfillment of that for which Christ shed his blood. That the house of God would be filled with redeemed sinners who are now filled with the love of God. We want to see that extended. And top of mind may be the loved ones whom the Lord loves far more than we do. And beyond that, as we remember his death, may he rekindle flame in our hearts of love for him. Love for him that carries us through everything in life. The joys, the simple pleasures of life, its sorrows and pains. But that Christ be all in all. 